Amen. Lord, as we know that you define love by what's been given, what's been paid, the value of something is by what's been paid for it. And Lord, we thank you that you gave your everything for us, that you're willing to suffer and die in our place so we might have eternal life. Lord, we're blown away by your love and your grace and your infinite mercy. What a great and awesome God you are. Lord, we pray as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. Father, we want to draw near unto you. It's not about learning a lesson or teaching a message, but coming into communion with the creator of the universe. So Lord, we ask that you would move. We ask that you would speak, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Pray for Bill's voice and pray for my glasses. They keep fogging up. I feel like I'm in a, you know, most of you think I'm in a fog anyway, but I really am this morning, so we'll see what happens. God's good. All right, a couple of things. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, continue our verse-by-verse study. But I also wanted to share a need that we have in the body, okay? I will never call anybody to do anything, but I certainly will share a need when we have one. And the need that we have is in the children's ministry. Now, I have a unique heart for most, for most, different from most pastors in this. My preference is, not that I won't allow it, but my preference is that the young moms would not be the ones in the children's ministry. Now here's why. They're taking care of their kids all week, and then they come to church on Sunday and take care of 20 more kids. And my heart would be that the, we that either have grown children or older children or don't have children yet, would be those who would respond and realize what a gifting and a blessing and a calling it is to minister to children. Most of you have heard my Mrs. Green story, but I got saved when I was four and a half years old in Mrs. Green's Sunday school class at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. And she put out the little flannel board and told us the story of the cross and how Jesus rose from the dead and gave us an opportunity to give our life to the Lord. And I raised my little hand and she led me to Christ and gave me a little white Bible to take home with me and you know, she worked in the children's ministry for, for 25 or 30 years at this, this church, teaching the four and five-year-olds every week. And I believe her reward in heaven is going to be great or, as great or greater than Billy Graham's. Amen? Amen? And Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz is fruit of her ministry. And I just want to encourage you, be praying, because what's happening is a lot of people that are working in are having children and things like that are happening, and now they have to, you know, parent their children and things like that. So just be praying. And I don't want you to do it as a, a have to, but pray that God would give you a heart that it would be a get to, amen? That you would see it as a ministry. You know, the most fertile ground for salvation in this church is in the children's ministry. Most people are saved by the age of 13. And so be praying that God, and again, that God would just raise up, give you a heart and a burden to do that, if that's what you feel called to do. All right. Tell the message today, bringing heaven home. Now what does that mean exactly? The first three chapters he talked about in this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he talks about our position in Christ, our blessings in Christ, our riches in Christ. And the second three chapters, he now talks about how we are to respond to who we are in Christ. He talks about what we are to believe, now how are we to behave. And as Christians, it's so important that we come to a place where we realize that our salvation, that our walk with the Lord, should impact every single aspect of our lives. That we don't fellowship with darkness anymore as we saw last week. That we're walking in the light of the 
Holy Spirit, as we'll see this morning. And as we are walking in the light of the Holy Spirit, it should be, again, us illuminated to the world around us, impacting our focus, our passions, our priorities, that everything should change from a, a temporal focus to an eternal one. That we should no longer be so caught up in the things that are passing away. You know, it's interesting to me, the people that I admire the most that have been walking with the Lord great lengths of time tend to have less and less of a focus on the stuff that doesn't matter. Stuff that once bugged them doesn't anymore. Why? Because we have an eternal focus, an eternal passion. Our eyes are focused on heaven. It should transform not only our hope of where we're going to spend eternity, but every aspect of our lives. And here's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to see that it's going to impact how we view life, how we spend our time, whose will we're pursuing, the source of our strength and courage and direction, what flows out of our mouth, and then, maybe most importantly for some of you today, how we relate to our spouses, and then next, and, and then when we get to chapter 6, how we relate to our children and the co-workers that we have. Because not only should it impact how we live and how we view life, but also how we interact with others, amen? As Christians, we should be different. We're, we're to expose the darkness, not walk in it any longer, and we should live different than the world. So bringing heaven home. What do I mean by that? That we don't just look at heaven as something that's going to happen someday, and certainly it is the truth, but that we can bring a taste of that into our lives even now, and we can have a taste of heaven in our houses even now. The Bible, as we're going to see, tells us that the Holy Spirit is a down payment on heaven. Amen? We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. So when the Spirit comes to live inside of you, we're taking a piece of heaven home with us. My heart would be again that we wouldn't just long for heaven, but Lord, at the same time, we would take a piece of it home with us, knowing that we can live near to that calling even now. So how do we bring heaven home with us? By walking with an eternal focus. If you're taking notes, by walking with an eternal focus. Number two, by having a sense of urgency. You bring heaven home in your marriage, in your life, in your walk by having a sense of urgency. Three, by pursuing God's will, not my own. How do we have a heavenly perspective? How do we bring that urgency home, a heaven home, by pursuing God's will and not our own? By walking in the fullness of the Spirit. By walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Not Him just with you or in you, but upon you. By having a heart of worship. This is a burden on my heart. I'll talk about it when we get to the verses. But, you know, I just want to see us worship more. Amen? I just want to see us worship more. And it's out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. And finally, a heart of submission and a heart of love. So bringing heaven home by walking with an eternal focus, with a sense of urgency, pursuing God's will and not my own, by walking in the fullness of the Spirit, having a heart of worship, a heart of submission, and a heart of love. So let's pick up in verse 15. I know we touched on that briefly last week, but that's where we'll pick up in Ephesians chapter 5, in bringing heaven home. First, by how we view life. Look at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. To walk circumspectly simply means to look around. Walking with a different focus. Walking, looking at what is going on around you. The word in Greek means to walk exactly or accurately or diligently. You know, because we've been illuminated with the light of the truth, we should live different. 
Because we've been illuminated with the light of the truth, we should not walk like those who are still spiritually dead or blind. And God has called us to be looking around as we walk. You know, can I tell you that we all can get so caught up in our own lives, can't we? Our own routine, our own stuff, and we're just, you know, I got it, you know, I'm busy about this. And here's opportunities, divine appointments all around us, and we miss them. Am I the only one guilty of that? You get so busy, man, I got, but I got work, and I got the thing, and I, you know, and I got to get up early, and I got to, you know, the, the coffee clicks on with the alarm clock, and you jump out of bed, and you just start going, and, you know, before you know it, it's time to go to sleep. And you know what, that's not walking, that's walking so focused on the, the cares of this life that we miss out on the eternal opportunities going on all around us, amen? And he says, walk circumspectly, walk looking around, have the focus not only be on you, have the focus be on what's going on around you, how God might use you. The word there for walk is for, means daily conduct. Your daily conduct, having been enlightened with the truth of the gospel, now walk, have your daily conduct be in wisdom, in obedience, in, diligent, in diligence according to God's will. It says, not as fools. How does a fool walk? He walks carelessly, without guidance, according to his own will, his own wisdom, with no thought of the consequences of today. Isn't that what a fool does? You live for the now. And that's what we're being taught to do. Live for now. You know, no payments for two years. Live for now, right? That kind of thing. And it's just get what you can and, you know, can all you get and spoil all the rest so nobody else can have any and just go for it, man. And don't worry about what's going to happen later. But the truth is that our actions have consequences, amen? And as not to walk as fools, not to be so focused on ourselves, not to miss out on the opportunities that will impact eternity all around us, may we walk in wisdom. May we walk looking around, focused on not again, just ourselves. Man often puts his faith in his own wisdom, and that is the definition of a fool. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, amen? So when we trust in our own wisdom, our own abilities, our own thought process, as you've heard me say, it's not what I think, it's what does God say that matters. God knows better than me. You know, when you're a teenager, teenagers, you think you know better than your parents, right? And then the older you get, the smarter your parents become. Isn't that amazing how that works? But the truth, the same is true that I believe the more spiritually mature we get, the more we understand how much God knows and how little we know. Amen? And how desperate we need to remain for Him. So may we be not as fools, but as wise. You know, the unsaved are spiritually blind. They have no fear of God. They're walking in darkness, but we as believers, it ought to be different. Having been enlightened by the gospel, our eyes ought to be wide open to what's going on around us. We want to have discernment. We want to understand. We want to see the divine appointments. And that's going to happen when we have intimacy with God and pray, Lord, help me to see through your eyes. Paint eternity on my eyes. Lord, when I go to the bank, let me see the divine appointment in front of me. When I'm driving down the road with every aspect of my life, Lord, let me not miss out on what you're calling me to do. Eternal focus. God's divine direction. Again, avoiding the pitfalls of the enemy. Verse 16 redeeming the time because the days are evil so also we bring heaven home by having a sense of urgency the word here redeeming the time means buying up the opportunity it doesn't mean about 
this moment in time. It's talking about the brevity of time. Redeem what little time you have. Let me ask you a question. If you were diagnosed with cancer tomorrow and given a month to live, would you do a few things a little different in the next month? You'd quit your job, right? I mean, you'd do some different stuff. And if you know, if you're really walking with the Lord, you'd probably go and visit every unsaved family member you have and bring the gospel to them without any compromise, amen? You'd be like, hey, I, you know, I'm not going to see you anymore. I know where I'm going, but I want to see you there, amen? Let me share with you the gospel of Christ. And you know what? There's a sense of urgency when we realize how short amount of time we really have. The Bible says our life is but a vapor. You know, young people hate it when you tell them this, but it's so true. You know, I'm amazed how quick time goes the older I get. It was Christmas last week. You know what I mean? The older I get, it's like, man, this is amazing how quick this is happening. Our life is but a vapor. And when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. May we redeem the time. May we buy back this time and use it for that which is eternal. The sense of urgency gives us a greater passion for the lost, to bring the Lord into all that we do. Let me ask you a question. I said it last week. How are you spending these moments God's given you? How are you spending them? Time is the one thing you spend that you can never get back. You spend it and it's over. How are we spending it? How are we, you know, often I lay in bed at night. Lord, did I spend today in a way that will impact eternity? Did I spend today in prayer? Did I spend today, and again, part of what I need to do is, as, a, as a man, as a husband, as a father, is I need to minister to my family. I need to provide for my family. That's not a waste of my day. That's a part of my day. But it shouldn't be the only thing I do today. Amen? There should be some eternal focus in what we do. He says there, because the days are evil. Paul's day, when he wrote this, there was idolatry and sexual immorality and the pursuit of wealth and the persecution of believers. Paul himself was in prison when he wrote this. But you know, as you've heard me say many times, it's in the midst of evil that there's no better place to take a halogen light. You know, the darkest place around, man, even a, a flicker of light shines brightly, amen? Well, we're living in a pretty dark place. And I pray we wouldn't just be a flicker of light, but a halogen light, amen? That blinds people, that they see the love of God in us. And these days indeed are evil. May we use what time we have to reach out to those who are headed for an eternity separated from God. The days are evil, but here's the good news. God is good, amen? The days are evil, but God's not. God's good, God's faithful, God's available, God loves you. Bringing heaven home. Thirdly, by pursuing God's will, not our own. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I think one of the questions I'm asked most often is, how do I know God's will for my life? And I know it's a question I've had myself. How many of you have had that question before or have it right now? How do I know God's will for my life? How do I know what God's heart is? How do I know what God's design is? Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, in this context, the will of the Lord was that they be separated from the world. That they would be light exposing the darkness. For you and I, if you want to know God's will, let me tell you, here's the secret. Know His Word. 
It's amazing how, you know, he's given us a direction manual for life. And often I know, you know, Christmas is coming and my kids aren't little anymore, but when they were little, like the biggest nightmare was like the day before Christmas putting all the toys together. You drag them out and when you pour it out and it has five bags of screws, that's not good. Oh, no. I'm going to put my son's basketball hoop and, you know, I'm not the most mechanically inclined guy in the world, but I know how to I use a screwdriver. Seven hours. I'm putting this thing, I open up 12 bags of screws, 20 hinges. I'm like, what? I could have had it assembled for 40 bucks. I'm stupid, right? And the point is that a guy was riding his bike by and he goes, oh, did you get that for your son for Christmas? I go, yeah. He goes, me too. He goes, seven hours yesterday. And I go, I'm on pace with you, man. And the point is that often it takes so long because like most knucklehead guys in this room who will admit it, I don't like to use the instructions always. That just takes time reading. Just give me the stuff, I'll figure it out. And you know what, that's stupid. I do it. I'm, I'm stupid. But you know what? We do the same thing with God. Here's the instruction manual, amen? amen. And he says, here's the instructions. We're like, well, let me just figure it out myself. You know what I do? I turn to the instructions when I've totally messed everything up and I can't figure out what in the world to do with these last seven screws, right? Where does this go? And this, this must be an extra part because I got nowhere to put it, right? And we do that, but then we do the same thing with God. We try to figure it out ourselves. We try to do it our own way. We turn to the instruction manual last. So let's save ourselves some time and turn here first, Amen. You want to know God's will? Spend time in God's word. He'll give you wisdom. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He'll increase your faith. He'll give direction to your life. It's God's manual for life and may we learn to use it. How do we know God's will? By spending time in God's word. And then secondly, by responding in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Often, God will speak to us in that still, small voice amen not always will there be a big sign flashing go to santa cruz right that's not what happened to me you know he'll start stirring your heart he'll start making his desire your desire it'll start to become a get to not a have to you'll start to have a burden for that area of ministry or whatever god's calling you to do and the holy spirit will begin to prompt you and lead you and you know what as we spend time in his word We'll know when it's the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit will always be consistent with the Word. Amen? The Holy Spirit will never lead you to do something that's contrary to what the Bible says. And often I hear people say, but I feel. No, but what does God's Word say? And if it's the Holy Spirit, you can check it out by looking at the instructions. Amen? You'll know it's the Lord when it matches the instructions. Fourthly, how do we bring heaven home? By walking in the fullness of the Spirit, our down payment on heaven. Look at verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the contrast between the Spirit and the flesh. The world, seeking peace, gets drunk. Right? Gets lit. Smokes crack. Whatever. Right? It doesn't matter. You know, isn't it amazing that, again, I said it last week, the Holy Spirit and alcohol is called spirits. And so you go for the spirits instead of the spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you will not be puking in the morning. 
You won't have to drink the hangover concoction or anything else, amen? And you won't walk to work the next day wondering what in the world did you do last night and why are all my friends laughing at me? (laughs) You know, drunkenness is foolishness. It really is. And we're not to be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And guys, if we have the Holy Spirit, we don't need the alcohol. We don't need the drugs. If you spend any time with me, you know nobody's happier than me. And I don't drink out. I don't need it. Why? I got Jesus. Amen? Amen. So much better. So much better. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Surrendering to the desires of the flesh is often done in darkness. Remember he said, you're light. Get out of the darkness. You know, my first sales job was selling restaurant equipment. And sometimes I'd have sales calls at 8 o'clock in the morning in a restaurant. And some of these restaurants would have bars. And I was always blown away that at 8 o'clock in the morning, people would be sitting in a dark room drinking. And isn't it amazing how most bars are dark? They're dark. People go in there and it's dark and they drink. I don't get it. You know what? And maybe that's been a struggle of yours. Can I encourage you? Come on out into the light and enjoy the Holy Spirit and you won't need that stuff anymore. Amen? Amen. Walk with the Lord. Be filled with Him instead of the drunkenness, the dissipation of this world. Drunkenness is foolish. It's unwise. It's carnal. It's in contrast to the Holy Spirit. The word dissipation there means it's a waste of time and a waste of your resources. Isn't that true? Some of us are going, if I had all the money back from what I spent on alcohol, I could buy a house. Well, maybe not in Santa Cruz, but. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the contrast. The world is seeking the answers from alcohol and drugs. And man, I've had a tough day. You know, it's just been really hard at work. And man, I'm, I'm just worn out and I just need to loosen up a bit. And so I'm just going to have a few drinks. not a big deal. I just need to loosen up a bit. I just need to relax. I need to have some peace. And we think we have peace from turning to a bottle when we need to have peace from the Prince of Peace. Amen? That's where we find our peace. That's where we find the hope. That's where we find the relaxation that we need. Resting in the Lord, not in the bottom of a bottle of gin or whatever else you choose to drink. You know... It says here instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled here is in the tense of keep on being filled. It's not a one-time event, you guys, being filled with the Holy Spirit. You've heard me say it, I won't take a lot of time with it. Spirit is with everybody. Prior to salvation, they call in their conscience. It's how the most ungodly person knows right and wrong. At salvation, Spirit comes to live in you. Now, you're not walking alone anymore. The Spirit of living God dwells in you. But the Bible talks about the Spirit coming upon you. In Luke, the Lord breathed the Spirit in them, and then He said, go and wait, and the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Two different events. Now, as Christians, we need to be in a constant state of praying, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. People will say, well, Pastor, why do you keep praying for the Holy Spirit to come upon you? Because I leak, amen? We leak. We need to be refreshed. We need the Spirit again, amen? So this is what he's saying here. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, but keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? When we're filled with the Spirit, we don't need the spirits, amen? It's written in a tense here of uh, 
again, a passive way that we don't fill ourselves, but we allow the Lord to fill us. It's not something we attain. We just simply say, Lord, fill me. Fill me. You know, that's a prayer he promises in his word he'll answer every time. So you pray, fill me. He will. He loves to. It's his desire. We do not fill ourselves, but we allow him to fill us. And again, it's in the midst of that spiritual weakness. Now, alcohol is, is again, it's carnal, it's fleshly, it's ungodly. And let me just say this, of drunkenness. The Bible talks about it a lot, but I'll just quote two verses for you. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Isn't that true? How many brawls around guys pounding alcohol? Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Waking up the next day, how did that happen, right? Who has redness of the eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Isn't that true? Your eyes will see strange things. Man, I'll tell you, I was seeing some stuff, right? That's what happens when you drink too much alcohol. And your heart will utter perverse things. Some of the things you say when you're drunk. When I was playing football in college, it was a rarity they would get me to go. But every once in a while, they would get me to go, hey, right after the game, everybody's going to this place. And, and I just would look around the room and think, these people are dumb. Because you would see them acting like, I mean, they're on tables and acting like chickens and stuff. And you're like, I need a video camera. So I can show them how foolish they look. And they were telling me, man, lighten up. I'm like, bro, I don't need to. We got Jesus, amen? I don't need to be loosened up by alcohol. I don't want to. You know, here's what alcohol does, you guys. It dumbs down conviction. You know, the Spirit is with you, in you, and upon you. When you drink alcohol, you dumb down the Holy Spirit. You can't listen anymore. You don't hear it. Why do people say, man, I need to get a few things so I can get some courage? Courage to do what? Act like an idiot, right? <laughs> if I drink some alcohol, then I can walk across the room and I can, you know, and I can get out there and just act, you know, right? And so we want to dumb down conviction when we need to be turning up the conviction of the Spirit, Amen. That's what alcohol does. It tries to quiet the spirit. We must not think that only the state of falling down drunk qualifies as sin. But being impaired in any way by drink is sin, as well as drinking with the intention of being impaired. Only you and God know. When you drink alcohol, why? And I'll say this. Whether you drink a glass of wine with dinner or not, it's between you and the Lord, and I will not condemn you for that, because I don't think the Bible does, all right? But I'll say this, you know your motivation for drinking alcohol. You know it and God knows it. So be honest with him, amen? God already knows. And so if the motivation is to get a buzz, quit drinking alcohol, amen? Because again, we don't need alcohol when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Fifthly, bringing heaven home by having a heart of worship. Look what it says. Do not be drunk with wine which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. 
Now, isn't it interesting that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit, what's the next verse say? What is the outpouring of being filled with the Holy Spirit? It's a heart of worship. You know, can I say this? And and I'm saying it in love as your pastor because I love you guys, okay? When I see somebody or somebody tells me they just don't have a heart for worship, that's a sign of a spiritual problem. Why were we created? To worship Him. Guys, one of the few things we do on earth that we're going to do in heaven is worship. Amen? We're not going to be reading the Bible in heaven. Because we'll be looking right at the Word, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We will not be sharing our faith in heaven. Everybody will already be saved. Amen? We will not be going to the doctor in heaven. We will not be doing, you know, weeping in heaven. No more sorrow. You know what we will be doing? We'll be worshiping. You want to get a taste of heaven? Worship. Amen? You want to bring heaven home? Bring worship into your home. That's how we, again, one of the few things we do on earth, we're going to do in heaven, is worship. And it's out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. So you find out what's, what's in someone's heart by what comes out of their mouth. And if somebody has no heart for worship, it tells me that your spiritual walk is not where it should be. Is that true or not? It really is, guys. And again, I'm not condemning you, I'm encouraging you. If you don't have a heart of worship, pray and say, Lord, help me to fall so in love with you, I can't help but worship. I love it when I'm in the grocery store and I hear someone worshiping. And shouldn't that be the way it is? Psalms, we should just be walking around, everybody will think we're crazy, but that's okay. We're not drunk, we're just filled with the Holy Spirit, Amen. And out of our mouth will flow psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Even when it's not coming out of our mouth, it's constantly in our heart. Amen? Just worshiping God wherever we go and whatever we do. Verse 20. Giving thanks always for the things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks for all things. Praying to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Spirit, a Spirit-filled life, a heart that brings heaven home, is one of gratitude and learning to say thanks. How much time do you spend thanking the Lord for what He's done? Can I encourage you to begin your prayers that way with praise? Begin your prayers with praise. You know, for me, I always begin prayer with, Lord, You're a great, holy, awesome, righteous, just, and faithful God. Amen? Why do we begin our prayer that way? Because he's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be honored. He's worthy to be worshipped. And you know what happens? Is everything else I pray after that becomes very easy to recognize that God can do it when I understand how great he is. May we start with praise. But as we see also in this verse, giving thanks. You know, a a spirit-filled heart is a thankful heart. Not a complaining heart. Not a murmuring heart. Amen? The Holy Spirit and complaining do not go together. Now, how many of you complained this week? Now, my hand's up. Don't we complain? I can't believe they don't have the Cokes in my size. You know what I mean? Whatever. 
Whatever it is. You go, man, I can't, I'm waiting in this line at the mall. Well, duh, it's Christmas. What did you think was going to happen? You know what I mean? And we go and we start complaining. We start murmuring. You know, maybe when we're in line next time, we ought to start singing praise songs. Line might weed out a bit, but you know what I mean? Just start, <laughs> instead of having a heart of complaining and murmuring, a heart of thanksgiving. Hey, Lord, praise God. You're a faithful God. It's okay. Strike up a conversation with the person lying with you. You never know, right? This could be an opportunity. Instead of being bummed out, you know, uptight, be blessed by by who we are in the Lord and walking with Him. May we not complain. I'm going to be real transparent with you guys. In eighth grade, you know how they have the Hall of Fame? You know what I mean? The most, best smile, best this. You know what I got? Biggest complainer. It's true. It's in my eighth grade yearbook. See, that, that points to the grace of God. Amen? It points to the grace of God. Look what God can do with your pastor. Amen? I, 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 when I won that, I complained. Why did I win this? What is that about? All right. How else do we bring heaven home? We bring heaven home by having a heart of submission. A heart of submission. Look what it says in verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. We give thanks, we praise God, and then we submit to one another in the fear of God. The word to submit there means to arrange under, to be subject to. It's a term, it's a military term. Okay? You know, is a private under the authority of the general? Of course he is. And God's called us to submit one to another. That God has put people in authority in our life and we are to submit to them. Now, this is not a popular thing in the world today, is it? Submit is a bad word. When you say submit, man, people get angry. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it will show in your willingness to submit to authority. And know what it says there, in the fear of God. I don't submit to the policeman because I'm afraid of him. I submit to the policeman because I fear and honor and reverence God, and he's the one that placed that policeman as authority in my life. Amen? I don't fear my boss or, you know, when I was working, or fear, you know, whoever it might be, that God is, the government or the IRS. We fear them, why? Because God has put them in authority, and we fear God. We reverence God, and God has put them there. And so we show them reverence because God has put them there. Amen? And so we're to have that in the fear of God. What does it mean practically to fear God and to submit to one to another? As Christians, we should not be thoughtless but thinking of others. As Christians, we should not be individualistic, you know, self-assertive, but instead seeking to minister to others. As Christians, we must not be self-seeking, but have a, you know, I'm, a, I'm an athlete. I was, not anymore, but a team attitude. Are we all on the same team? We are. And can you imagine if everybody got in the huddle, you know, I played football, and we did all decided we wanted to play quarterback right before the snap. That wouldn't work out too well. Somebody's got to submit. Somebody's got to let somebody be the, allow someone to be the authority, but it needs to be the one that God has placed in that position. And God does have a divine order. His word talks about it repeatedly. And again, I know it's a word that we struggle with, but what does it mean to submit to the Lord? And the next, this week, and when we get to the next chapter, we're going to talk about wives 
submitting to their husbands. Oh, that's popular. <laughs> We're going to talk about children obeying your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6. And then we're going to talk about bond servants or employees submit to your boss and do it in the fear of God. The motive for our submission is not kindness. The motive for our submission is not the law. The motive for our submission is our respect and our love for Jesus Christ. Why do we submit? Because we love the Lord. Amen? And so with that being said, let's move on to many of the men in this room's favorite verse in the Bible. Again, looking at the concept of submission, both in our homes and in our marriages. Look what it says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, the favorite verse of many men and the verse that feminists have used to call the Bible chauvinistic. Oh, I can't believe that it tells women to submit. Let me tell you something. Submission is not a position of inferiority. It is not. You know what? I think it's harder often for the private to submit to the sergeant if he's maybe more intelligent, maybe more equipped, maybe he understands things better. But you know what? It's a sign of a, of a right heart that he submits anyway. If he didn't, there would be mayhem in the army, wouldn't there? Imagine if every battle, they all got together, well, I think you should be trying, I think I should be, oh, I think, well, this is, no, no, there's a divine order for a reason. And there's a divine order in our homes for a reason. God has called the wife to submit to her husband, not because she's inferior, not because she's less intelligent, and no, that's true, because I've talked to some of you guys, and not because, <laughs> and not because she's less important either, Amen. She's not less important or less intelligent, but it's God's divine order. The word again, submit, means to recognize someone who has legitimate authority over you. It means to recognize that there is an order of authority, that you are a part of a team, a unit, that you as an individual are, more, are not more important than the working of the team unit that God has designed. Again, we submit to the police because we fear God. Does it make us inferior? Am I inferior to the police officer? No. We submit to our employer because we recognize their authority and we act accordingly. Does that make us inferior? No. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, submitted to the Father. Does that make Him inferior? The answer is no. They're one. Amen? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But His act of submission is a, not a sign of inferiority, but a sign of honor. A sign of recognizing the authority that has been placed there by God and, sub, and submitting to it willingly. When we refuse to submit to divinely placed authority, the results are das- disastrous. You don't submit to the police, where do you go? Jail. Right? You decide you don't want a ticket. Oh, he can't give me a ticket, I'm just going to drive off. Well, that'll work out real well. We'll be watching you on the Channel 5 News while they're chasing you down the freeway. And you will be in jail. I'm not submitting to you. Uh, Yes, you are. You don't submit to your employer, guess what? You get fired. And wives, if you do not submit to your husband, you will have a broken home or a loveless marriage. That's exactly what will happen. 
Now, it says there, as to the Lord. That doesn't mean that He's the Lord. Guys. Amen? Too often you get this attitude. You know, one of the things I hear in counseling, it cracks me up, if they do it in front of me, I can't imagine living with this guy. But they'll say, she just won't submit. I'm like, I can't imagine why. (laughs) Really? I can't imagine why not. You're so loving and gracious and kind. You know, I've learned that sit down, shut up, and submit, woman, doesn't work. Not effective. And yet there's, but the Bible says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I'm the Lord. No, you're not. You're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? And so the way this can be, it doesn't mean as to the Lord so the wives, you know, have to, Honor everything you say. You're in charge, and whatever you say, that's it. No matter what he says or does or demands, she must submit. That's not what it means. It also doesn't mean what I've had wives say to me. Well, I have to submit to him as long as he is walking in complete obedience to the Lord. Well, then you'd never have to submit to him. You can always, you know him better than anybody. You can always point to some sin in his life. Well, he told me to do this, but I'm not going to because I saw him doing this yesterday. I saw him lose his temper, so I don't have to, I don't have to submit to him. That, it's neither one of those. He's not the Lord, and you don't only submit to him when he walks perfectly like the Lord. Amen? We are to walk in submission out of respect and honor and our love for the Lord. Not because the husband is the Lord, but out of respect for the Lord. Amen? Out of love for the Lord. Recognizing that the Lord has placed your husband in your life for this reason and you are to submit to him. Again, I know it's not popular with many women today, but I'll tell you what, there's no greater example of Christ in the church than a wife who submitted willingly to her husband. As we're going to see as we move on. Again, Submitting only when he does what is perfect is not submission, right? Because then you're determining whether or not you want to follow him. As to the Lord, again, does it not define the extent of her, of her submission or the limit of her submission, but her motive for submission, doing it as to the Lord. As to the Lord means a wife's submission to her husband is a part of her life. When the wife doesn't obey the word to submit to her husband, she's not, she's not only falling short as a wife, she's falling short of her calling to follow the Lord. There can be no more compelling reason than that, than that God has called you to submit to your husband. Wives, submit to your husbands out of love for the Lord. You want to bring heaven home? Wives, submit to your husbands. We're not going to stop at this first. Praise God. Amen? Wives? Because we're going to keep going. Often guys quote this verse to me and they don't want to keep reading. Then it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their husbands in everything. Man, more good verses for the husband. The husband is the head of the wife. The head has responsibility. But you know what else the head has? Accountability. You have responsibility to be the head of your household, which means you have the responsibility to be the spiritual leader in your home. And if your home's a mess... Dads, husbands, fathers, look in the mirror, it starts with you. Amen? 
You know, we are called to be the head, but we're also called to be accountable as the spiritual leader. Now, why is the man the head and not the woman? That's a valid question. God created man first. God created man first. Now, I, I love the creation story for so many reasons. But you know what I love about it? God created man first, and after every day, He said, it is good, it is good. You know, He created the stars, it's good. He created the animal, it's good. And then He created man, and He said, it's not good that man should be alone. And so, He created man first, but then I love how He created woman. He took the rib out of the man and created woman from the man. Why? Because the man was incomplete without the woman. Guys, we're incomplete without our wives. Amen? Amen? You know, they blew it with some movie, but they do complete us. Amen? And I love that he took the rib. You know why? He didn't take a piece of his head that she might be above him or a piece of his back that she might be behind him or a piece of his foot that he might walk upon her, but he took a rib that she might always be near and dear to his heart. Amen? That's what a wife is to her husband. Not somebody who orders around. Not somebody he commands to submit. But the one who completes him. The one that makes him whole. Without her, he is incomplete. It's so important that we understand this perspective. Woman is the complement of man. Man is incomplete without woman, and woman is incomplete without man. Now, I know it's going to sound like a sidetrack for a second, but isn't it interesting that in homosexuality... When you have a couple, one of them always tries to be the opposite sex. You know why that is? Because you're incomplete without the other. It's the way God created us. Man is incomplete without woman, and woman is incomplete without man. That's the way God created it. And that's God's divine plan. When a woman gets married, she takes her husband's name. She submits to him. She completes him. The number two reason there it says is that marriage is a picture of the union between Christ and the church. Jesus is the groom and we are his bride. Are we submitted to the Lord? Isn't he easy to submit to? Do you ever ever think that you should be in charge instead of him? I have no problem with that one. Lord, you're in charge. I blow it. I sin. But I, I have no problem thinking I should be in charge instead of him. Amen? He's in charge. He's faithful. It says there, he is the savior of the body. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. This doesn't mean that for us as husbands, we're the savior. What it means is that God has called us to keep, to preserve, to guard, to shield, to provide for our wives. As Christ nourishes the church, husbands ought to nourish and minister to their wives. Amen? You know, the number one reason I see for adultery in marriage most often is a husband not ministering to and nourishing his wife. Your wife's not going to look anywhere else if you're loving her and ministering to her. Amen? And I don't, and I don't believe that submission is hard when the man is walking with the Lord, as we're going to see. It's difficult to submit to a man who doesn't love God, but God has called us to do that as long as He doesn't tell you to do something contrary to the word. As husband and wife, we are one body. The husband is the head, but we're one body. We're one. You know what divorce is like? It's like taking my body and ripping it in half. It hurts. Some of you can testify to that, amen? 
It hurts. It's painful. What God has joined together, let no man separate. And so one body, the husband is the head. The wife is not to act independently of her husband. She's not to go before him. She's not to go after him, but to walk with him. Amen? Walk with him. Now, there's no way I'm going to stop without talking to husbands. I'm not going to do it. There's no way. Because you walk out of here and you have see, you're in trouble. No, we're not doing that. We're going to finish this, all right? Even though we have communion today, we're going to do it. So a heart of submission. How does a woman portray godliness? With a heart of submission. Husband and wife are both called to die to self. Submission is the way the wife does it. Husband and wife are both called to sacrifice. Submission is the way the wife does it. Husband and wife are called to see their marriage as a model of Jesus and the church. Submission is the way the wife does it. Husband and wife are called to honor the order of of creation. Submission is the way the wife fulfills her place in that order. Husband and wife are called to be motivated by love and the command of Jesus. And submission is the way the wife does it. This says there in verse 24, Therefore, or, yeah, therefore, just as Christ is subject to the church, subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their husbands in everything, in everything until there is an exception, until he tells her to do something contrary to the word. When do we stop honoring the government? If the government made a law tomorrow saying, I cannot preach the gospel, I'm breaking the law tomorrow. Amen? If the, if the government says that, you know, we can't pray or we can't read the Bible, then we break, then we break it. But, we're submitting everything as understanding that God has placed them there. If you're married to an unbeliever, you submit to him until he tells you to do something contrary to the word. You don't submit to your husband if he wants to sell you into prostitution. Amen? You don't submit to him. You don't submit to him if he's beating you every day. Don't do that. You don't submit to that and say, well, he's my... You don't submit to that. Okay? So we submit to him in everything unless it's contrary to to the will and the word of God. Okay, now, husbands, we're going to finish with you. A heart of love. Now look at this. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. No husband is entitled to say that he is the head of his wife unless he loves her first. Amen? You have no right to say you're the head of your wife unless you love your wife first. I'll give you one guess for the word there for love. What do you think it is? It's agape. Love your wives. Agape your wives. It's a love that gives, a love that serves, a love that sacrifices. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. It's a love that doesn't change. It's a self-giving love. It's a love that lays down its life. It's a love that loves even the unlovable. It's a love that loves even when it's been rejected. That's agape. And you know what that love does? It gives. For God so agape the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How much did Christ love the church? He died for the church. Husbands, you should be willing to lay down your life for your wife. That means lay down your desires and your passions and your will. But I don't want to go shopping. Lay down your will, amen? Love your wife. Serve your wife. Minister to your wife. She should be your best friend. Text more than saying, Husbands, be kind to your wife. Be nice to your wife. But again, lay down your life for your wife. Look at the standard. Verse 25. 
Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. How do you show your wife love? By teaching her the word. By ministering to her from the word of God. You want to have a home cleansed and set apart? Minister to your wife from the word of God. We are to love as Christ loves us. And Christ loved us enough to suffer and die for us. And it says there, you know what? As Christ gave himself for us, we're to give ourselves for our wives. And then we are to minister the truth to her. The Bible says, let this mind be also in you that is in Christ Jesus. Being in the form of God, did not consider it to be robbery with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself, became obedient even to the point of death, death on the cross. Worldly headship says, you take your orders from me and do whatever I say. Godly headship says, I'm your head, so I'm going to care for you. Worldly headship says, you submit to me and you listen to me. Godly headship says, I'm accountable to love you, to minister to you, and to lay down my life for you. You know what? Wives, if that's what your husband's doing, is it hard to submit to that guy? If he's loving you and serving you and laying down his life for you and ministering to you the truth from the word of God, being the spiritual leader in his home, it's not hard to submit to that man. As husbands, we're to be the spiritual leaders in our home and take an active role in the sanctification process of our wives and children. Verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that they should be holy and without blemish. Through what Jesus gave for us, we become a pure and holy bride, looking forward to the wedding day. But you know what, guys? When you love your wife and minister to your wife, you're making your wife more beautiful. You really are. You really are. You know what? We should be waiting in anticipation as the bride of Christ for His soon return. But we should be looking... I I say this in every wedding I do. Court your wife all your life. You know, it's not the ding, 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 got her. Okay, now I can relax. Now I can sit on the sofa and eat a bag of chips with my stomach hanging out. You know what I mean? Watch football while she goes shopping. You know, when you were courting, you got up early and brought her roses and put notes on her windshield and, you know, sent her flowers and, you know, oh, you're going to go shopping? I'll go shopping. You know, right? (laughs) Court your wife all your life. Amen? She is the most precious thing in the world to you outside of the Lord himself. She's your first ministry. She's a gift from God. She's the one that God brought to complete you. Near and dear to your heart. Now, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. It's interesting that as we love our wives, we're loving ourselves. Why? Because we are one with them. We're one with them. Our wife is the way she is because of the way that we love her. As Eve was a part of Adam, taken from his side, near to his heart, so the wife is to the husband. She's part of him. He who loves his wife loves himself. When you love your wife, you benefit yourself. But let me say this. When you neglect your wife, you harm yourself. When you love your wife, you minister to yourself. And when you neglect your wife, you bring harm to yourself. It's convicting for me. I need to spend more time with my wife. We must never isolate or detach ourselves from our spouse. It will damage us both. Amen? 
Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It says in verse 29, For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. No man hated his own flesh. Nourishes. The word nourishes means to, to bring up to maturity. To cherish means to warm, to keep warm with tender love, to foster tender care. These are great words. This is how a man should love his wife. She's part of you. Love her. Make her the priority. Guys, she's more important than your buddies. Amen? She should be your best friend. Love her. Minister to her. Last few verses. For we are the members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. The church is a part of the body of Christ, and I find it interesting that we became a part of His body as He bled for us on the cross. And the wife is the part of the husband, and it's interesting that the woman came out of the man's side. Both were birthed through pain. Both were birthed through, again, the shedding of blood. Church is a part of the body. And that same intimacy and love that an ideal and wife, husband and wife share is available to us as the bride of Christ. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He quotes Genesis chapter 2. And guys, this means that your mom and dad are not your immediate family anymore. Amen? Amen. That's a tough one for some people. Do not run to your mom and talk bad about your wife. I hope if you do, your mom slaps you. Don't do that. Don't do that. And women, don't run to your dad. Well, my dad said, stop. Leave and cleave. Amen? Now, do you still love your mom and dad? Yes. Do you still respect them? Yes. Are they still very important? Absolutely. They're not your immediate family anymore. Your, hu- your husband is. Your wife is. Amen? That's the priority. That's where it begins. Don't be so caught up in trying to do things with your family you don't have time with your spouse. Don't do that. Leaving all the earthly relationships, parents, friends, to make your marriage the priority. So too as Christians, all of the relationships are to take a back seat to the legitimate walk with the Lord. Last two verses. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Leave, cleave, the mystery of the church, that we're one in Him, so too as believers we're one in Christ, so too in marriage we're one as husband and wife. Again, God desires that we be one both in our flesh and in our spirit. Verse 33, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, you know what's interesting to me? In, in most counseling sessions where there's struggle in a marriage, and we're done, is the wife wants love and the husband wants respect. Most often, that's what the problem is. The wife says, he doesn't show me enough love, he doesn't exhibit enough love, and the husband says, she doesn't respect me. Isn't it interesting that it says right here, husbands, love your wives as himself, and wives see that she respects her husband. You know what I've found to be true? Don't be a harsh dictator And it would be amazing how much your wife will respect you. Love her. Minister to her. Lay down your life for her. And it's amazing just how often, how easy it will be for her to love you. Women, respect your husband and watch how easy it will be for him to love you. Respect him. He'll love you. Love her. She'll respect you. Amen? So in closing, bringing heaven home. 
How do we bring heaven home? How do we live in the light of eternity? Should transform not only our, our hope of where we're headed, the promise of heaven, but every aspect of life. How we view life. How we spend our time. Whose will we're pursuing, the Lord's not ours. The source of our strength, the Holy Spirit. What flows out of our heart, the Spirit, heart of worship. And then how we relate to our spouses. Can I encourage you, if you're here and your marriage has been struggling, fix it today. Ask God to help you. Amen? Start viewing your wife as the treasured thing that she is. You're blessed by God. God's, she completes you. When you hurt her, you're hurting yourself. Wives, respect your husband and submit to him. No, it's hard to do sometimes. We're knuckleheads, okay? But you know what? Pray for him. When you, and remember, you're not submitting to him as much as you're submitting to the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Help us, Lord, to bring heaven home. Help us, Lord, to bring it into every aspect of our lives, the eternal focus, the eternal passion. Lord, I pray for the marriages here. I pray for those who are going through difficulty right now. May you bring restoration to every single home. Help us, Lord, to treasure our spouses. Help, help the wives to submit to their husbands and the husbands to love their wives in a supernatural way. Father, as we go to this time of communion now, may this not be a, a ritual that we take for granted. But Lord, we come before your table and we do this in remembrance of the cross of Christ. We do this in remembrance of the work of your shed blood upon the cross that paid the price for us. We do this in remembrance of what was necessary that we might become your bride. We thank you, Lord, that we can know you in a personal and intimate way. Lord, I pray you'd be with, with us during this time. May we examine our own hearts. Lord, may you even bring healing to marriages during this time. We ask it in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. All right, time of communion now. If you need to use a restroom or anything, go ahead. The worship team's going to play here at Calvary Chapel. We don't have church membership. You're a part of the body of Christ. Communion's for you. We should never take it lightly. The bread is a picture of the body of Christ being broken for us. The juice is a picture of His blood that was shed for us. As we do it, three things I constantly remind you. Be looking within at your own heart. A time of self-examination and repentance before the Lord. Maybe a time for you husbands and wives to come together because of what the Word has ministered to you and to get right with each other and before the Lord. But then we not only look within, but we, you know, we look up. We look to the Lord. We look back to the cross of Christ and what He has done for us. We look back to the work of the cross, that it is finished, that it's been completed. We should come with a heart of thanksgiving for what He has done. But also looking ahead in anticipation when we will have the Lord's Supper with Him in heaven. So if anybody's not clear, the, the bread is His body broken for us. As we take it, we're remembering the suffering that He, that he took on our behalf. The blood, or the juice, is a representation of His blood that is a picture of the redeeming work of the cross. So as the worship team prays, just come on up, grab the elements, go back and sit down. Take some time and spend some intimate time, you and the Lord. Are you and your wife and the Lord? Are you and your family and the Lord? And search within. Look back to the cross and look forward to heaven. Amen?